Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Just a couple of rowdy renegades when we blew it up. Good morning. We're here today with Brad Zalucian. He has a book that's out. Uh, it's a single unopened pack of 1986 Topps baseball cards. A vow to track down all the players inside, which is uh, just an awesome idea. Uh, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, the premise of the book is he opened up a pack of baseball cards. Um, I believe it was 11,341 mile road trip, Brad. Uh, and definitely a lot learned along the way. I read the book. It is awesome. If you love baseball, it's awesome. I mean, if you just want to read a good book, it's it's awesome. Uh, welcome, Brad. I appreciate you being here. Thanks. And uh, I appreciate you saying that about, you know, if you just want to read a good book, because I always wanted to write something that was obviously baseball fans would enjoy, but that anyone could could access and appreciate. Absolutely. Um, how did you come up with this idea? <laughs> Um, so let's see when, uh, when I took the trip, I was, it was five years ago, 2015. So I'm 39 now, I was 34 on the trip. And at that, you know, in my mid thirties, um, still single, no kids, a lot of people, my, my friends, you know, kind of settling down and, and having kids getting married. Uh, and I thought about how I was now the same age as the players, the baseball players that I grew up watching when they retired right so most athletes are kind of done in their mid-30s and i grew up collecting baseball cards like so many people you know buying all the wax packs and chewing the gum and so i always wondered like what happened to the guys that i that i collected in the late 80s mid 80s um that kind of where are they now question that a lot of people i think a lot of people are interested in and i thought well it'd be kind of neat as a device to get a pack because that would give you, you know, a, a pack of cards that had never been opened. And that would give you this like random sample of players from that era. And I could use that as the the catalyst for going on this road trip to find them all. And then uh, I could kind of explore this notion of like, OK, now that I'm in my mid 30s, asking these players as sort of my my own 
kind of mentors like, well, what did you do when you were in your mid thirties and you were at a crossroads, you know, and you had, you could not play baseball anymore. What did you do with the rest of your life? That's a pretty big question for, for I'm sure any athlete in any sport, but so you were very lucky when you opened up that pack of cards because you ended up with very interesting players. Um, and, and, and as I say, in a footnote in the book, in full disclosure, I did open up a few different packs. I didn't mix the cards between packs, but I just knew if I opened just one pack and, you know, half the guys are dead or like everyone lives in the same state, you know, that wouldn't make a very good road trip book. So now I know trying to locate people, you know, just for this, for my podcast is, is very difficult. Uh, people don't want to talk to you. They're private. You have to go through uh, many different chains just to, to, to yeah, try I- to get to somebody. I've seen I've seen that you've gotten you've had some really great guests on your show. Like so have you been have you been rejected by people or had that awkward Yes. Yeah. It's it's interesting interestingly enough, I've been rejected by people who you wouldn't have thought would have rejected me. Huh. Um and then the people who I thought maybe wouldn't speak to me were were very gracious. What, um, what, what was the reason they would give you when they would reject you? Um don't do, I don't do interviews. Hmm. Um, and this was for somebody who obviously does interviews. Right. Um, too busy. Um, I, I, then I would follow back with everything going on right now. Everybody's stuck at home. So, I mean, how, how busy right. really <laughs> right. is somebody? Um, right. But, you know, I take it with a grain of salt. And I still get to talk to awesome people. So how were you able to – this, this is like a monumental task – to find these players and yeah. um some of them were difficult and we'll get into that but how were you able to, to start how did you start yeah so i did i had done like a like almost a year of research and prep so let's take a couple examples like on the easy side rance mullenix i just googled him and it happens to be that he is a uh, realtor now and so if you've ever noticed the easiest people's phone numbers to get in society are realtors because their numbers are everywhere. So, you know, on his, his, uh, century 21 or whatever the company was on his profile, the, you know, he had his cell phone number right there. So I just gave him a call. Um, someone like Steve Yeager, I think Yeager, um, I had interviewed. So I had knowing I was going to do this, I wrote a shorter article, um, for Smithsonian about, stealing bases and as a catcher i got in touch with steve yeager i think i don't know how i first got his number maybe also through um through the you know public record searches and i had interviewed him for that article and then i knew in the back of my head okay i'm gonna i'm gonna later on i'm gonna follow up and ask if i could actually come visit him and do this project so i was kind of being strategic about how to get to know these guys to kind of ramp up to my bigger ask but now, of course, not all of them were willing to, to talk to me. I mean, in the, as you see in the book, I think the failures are actually as interesting as the successes, you know, because I get to have some fun with Carlton Fisk and, you know, Vince Coleman blows me off. But I, I still managed to go to where he grew up in Jacksonville, Florida and retrace his childhood. So, you know, just because someone doesn't talk to you doesn't mean you can't you can't write about them. And that's what I love about the book. You're, you're, we're going to get into the players later, but you're, you're, um, the chapter about Carlton Fisk towards the end of the book when his, I believe it was his publicist, yeah, um, 
reached out to you is hilarious for me. I, I laughed. I laughed last night when I was reading the book. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that. How, so how did you get giving me a call soon again? Uh, I was going to ask you that. Um, how did you get involved in, in writing professionally? Yeah. Um, so I always have had a, a bit of an identity crisis um, where I, I'm a scientist and also a writer. Right. And they're kind of two different sides of your brain. And I can't commit fully to either one. Like, I love them both. Uh, in college, I studied journalism. I was lucky enough to have some great professors. And I, I, I trained in, in magazine journalism, which is almost like a lost art form now because there's so few magazines left that do this kind of long-form style. But for me, like, my literary heroes were Hunter S. Thompson and Tom Wolfe and Gay Talese and all these people that, you know— learn how to apply the techniques of fiction to nonfiction. And that's really what my book is, is creative nonfiction, right? So it's a true story, but I use a lot of the elements of, of, a, of a novel, like dialogue and description and all of that. I think it makes it a much more compelling read that way. So um, I had trained in, in that form, and then I worked for a magazine called Islands Magazine right after college. And then I decided oh, I wanted go back to the science a little more. So I got my PhD in, in uh, environmental management. And then I said, okay, now I want to go back to the journalism. So <laughs> I've always done some freelance writing, but I've never taken on a, a whole book before. But you've written for some, some pretty well-known uh, uh, places, uh, Rolling Stone, National Geographic, uh, Los Angeles Times. That's pretty, uh, it's a good list. Um, yeah, I'd always done shorter stuff. Um, but I think a lot of writers in the genre that I work in dream of being able to, to write a longer, you know, go long, essentially. And nowadays, you kind of have to write a book to do that. Um, and so it was a, I was really just happy to finally get the space to, to do to practice the craft that I had trained on. Um, you're also a biology professor, right? Currently. Yes. Yeah. So with uh, with the virus and everything that's going on right now um how has this just impacted you know that aspect yeah no as well as 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 well as now your book release yeah it's been it's been all around i mean i think we're all just taking taking shots left and right here with this thing um so from teaching it's really everything now is moving online right um and i think that's I, it scares me, to be honest, because I don't really like online teaching. <laughs> you know, I just think there's something about you need to have that face-to-face -face experience to get the most out of the, the, the class. And so I understand we have to do that right now, but I really hope that, you know, before too long, we can get back to, to a setting that's, you know, the actual classroom. And then from the about the book, yeah, I, it's, it's been disappointing. I mean, I had like a 35 to 40 stop book tour planned. I was going to, and I, I know you're in Pennsylvania. I was going to go to um, Scranton and Philadelphia, mm. my book tour. Um, and I put a lot of work into that, but, you know, that's now canceled. And hopefully I'll get to do it down the line. But um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been rough. Um, um, you know, on the other hand, people are home more, perhaps more, have more time to read, need a good distraction. So maybe my book will provide some of that. Um, but then again, on, on the other hand, you know, people have less disposable income now because, you know, the economy's really taking a hit. So there's all these well, intersecting forces. The book's very affordable. Um, I grabbed it on on, um, on my iPad on, on Apple. Uh, so I, I don't think that's an excuse for anybody. Everybody's home. It's a great book to read. Um, 
trying to plug this for you. I appreciate uh, it. <laughs> he, you're, Brad's very active on on social media, so we'll we'll put up his links later. And you're putting out you know great content, and it's not just about the book; it's about baseball and and some other things in there. So definitely worth uh, hopping on. When did you realize that you were good at writing, and people wanted to read what you were what you were doing? Um, I think, I guess, uh, uh, I always got like when I had a chance to write in this in this style, even all the way back in college, getting a lot of positive reinforcement from my professors. I knew I, I knew I had a knack for it. Um, and then I think the shorter pieces that I wrote were, you know, I got good feedback, but they were not, you know, when you only have like a thousand words or 500 words and just so people know for comparison, like my book is 90,000 words. So it's, wow. it's a long, it's, you know, by comparison, it's a lot. Um, I didn't. I didn't really have a chance to write at that at that length until now. Um, I always believed that I could do it, but until you actually do it, you don't know for sure. So I think when I got feedback from when I was trying to sell the book, and I would go to agents, and they and they were giving me a lot of positive feedback, then I kind of knew, okay, this is this is going to be good enough to to fly. What is that process like for somebody who who's never written a book? Is it is it scary? Yeah, it's daunting. So the reason why it took so long to, for this book to come out, because I took the trip in 2015, is basically because that process is so daunting. So um, I took the trip without having any kind of a book deal or advance. I mean, I had to fund everything myself. You know, it was it was difficult. It was expensive. Um, and then I, I came back and I wrote a I wrote a proposal which was like, I mean, so in nonfiction, you don't have to write the whole book before you try to get a book deal. If you write a novel, you you have to write the whole book first, which is, you know, mm. <laughs> a lot of work up front. Um, in nonfiction, you can sell a book based on the proposal, but even the proposal is a is a huge commitment. So my proposal was like 127 pages and it had sample chapters and it had an outline of all the chapters. And you use that to try to get an agent and then the agent tries to sell it to the publisher. And basically there's five companies that are all in New York that control all the, all publishing. Uh, I mean, major publishing. And so they're called the big five. It's like Penguin Random House, Simon and Schuster, you know, the names you've probably heard of. And you try to, your agent tries to sell the book to an editor at one of those publishers. And so we did that. And it was really demoralizing because I got it was rejection after rejection after rejection. And I was being told um, that it was a great idea and it was great writing, but I didn't have 100,000 Twitter followers. And therefore, you know, I didn't have a platform. I wasn't famous. I didn't have a brand. So basically, they, you know, they say, well, we can't we, we can't offer you a deal because we don't think we can sell enough to justify it. And, you know, it's really uh, disappointing because it basically it's saying like, there's no room to take a chance on an unknown author. Right. So at that point I was like, well, do I give up or, or what? And I ended up going to a much smaller press university of Nebraska who does a lot of baseball books and, and they were great. They immediately were interested. Um, I mean, I didn't, it was, I got a very, very tiny advance for the book. Um, so financially it's, it's difficult and hopefully I'll, if the book does well, I can, you know, make, make some actual money on the, on the royalties. But um, but yeah, it was a long, drawn out process. Um, I, I, I 
kind of shrugged my shoulders there because, uh, you know, we hear that a lot. I think a lot of companies are short-sighted and they all look for, um, you know, how many uh, YouTube views do you have and Twitter followers and they're missing the boat on some very uh, interesting people and, and, and content um, that maybe not a lot of people have seen yet. Yeah. Um, so well, we've experienced that experience that on our end. Um, so do you think if you would have came up with the idea now, now that the baseball's on hold and sports are on hold, you would have had a little more difficulty getting the book, um, greenlit. Yeah. I, right now, I mean, right now is so weird. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I, I'm really concerned about publishing and journalism in general right now, because I mean, I'm already reading about all these layoffs that are happening. You know, you would think that that without any actual baseball games, it would be maybe easier to get coverage or to write about this stuff. But I'm finding that a lot of newsrooms and and publishing outlets are kind of in the state of flux, and they're 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 not really doing as much. They're trying to figure out what the future holds. So. I don't know. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I think it would be really hard to sell a book right now. Um, but I, you know, I'm not, I'm not do, trying to do it. So I'm not exactly sure. Okay. Um, so the list, let's get into the book. Um, like I said, before we were recording, you can, you can tell us as much as you want yeah. or as, as little as you want, if you want people to be, um, you know, a little surprised when they read it. So you, you've met with, uh, well, the list is Al Cohen's Carlton Fisk. Obviously everybody knows Carlton Fisk. Don Carmen, um, Doc Gooden, Gary Templeton, Gary Pettis, Jamie Cockenauer, Lee Mazzilli, who is my favorite player. I was oh, nice. like, super stoked to see him in the book. Uh, okay. Randy Reddy, Richie Hebner, Rich Sutcliffe, Rick Sutcliffe, I'm sorry, Steve Yeager, and Vince Coleman, who turns out to be a little difficult for you. Yeah. Um, your first person was Rance Mullenix, um, and you said he was easy to find. You just you Googled him, yeah. um, which is awesome. How did you go about finding everybody else mm -hmm. past that? Okay. So um, Templeton, I think. So, you know, there are these like public records databases that you can subscribe, you can pay for, where you get people's, you know, addresses and phone numbers. So I could get their, their addresses pretty easily. And I wrote letters, snail mail letters to each of them, kind of introducing myself. And I don't think anyone directly responded to that, but I didn't even expect them to. I just thought I just wanted to give them some context because I knew I would be following up. And then like Gary Templeton, um, I think there were a bunch of phone numbers and I ended up like getting his daughter, I think it was on the phone or on or, I, or on texting or something. And she's like, oh, this, you know, this Gary doesn't live. This isn't Gary, but I'm his daughter. Or here's, you know, here's his number. So, you know, some serendipity like that. Um, it, but yeah, it was a mix of, of basically just, you know, any kind of anytime you're doing um, kind of this kind of journalism, it's going to require using all possible research angles and talking to different people. And, you know, it's, it's a mix of serendipity and hustle and, you know, that, whether or not it works out. And this you did this all yourself. There was no right. There's no mean, team behind you. No, I didn't have, you know, like I said, the whole thing was by myself. I didn't have, uh, you know, uh, any any real help there. And uh, trust me, guys, this is difficult. So um, just trying to find guests for here is is super difficult. You have to you have to turn every stone over and try to find every contact. It's, and, it's... And, and again, to be, I mean, to do this, I basically so I, I 
teach part-time. I, for five years, I was, I mean, I live in the Bay Area in the California and basically teaching part-time, making $30,000 a year in the Bay Area, which is, you know, nothing. I mean, just scraping by, renting a room in a house so I could do this, right? So, I mean, I made, it, it, it was, I'm, there are major trade-offs. Um, again, being single, not having kids, like it makes it easier to do that kind of thing. But I also just, you know, had to live very simply and, uh, you know, give, but I, I knew I wanted to give myself a chance to succeed. And the only way to do that would be to give myself enough time to work on the book. What were your expectations before you, you embarked on these trips? Well, uh, I mean, I had no idea uh, whether, I mean, the, the biggest fear I had was like getting the players to, to um, participate, right? But then before I took the trip, most of them I had gotten in touch with and I felt, okay, I'm, I'm at least going to get a shot to talk to these guys. Um, I didn't know necessarily all the themes that were going to come out until I talked to them. And I, I was really pleasantly surprised by how many different threads are in the book. So there's the thread about um, the father-son relationship. And I didn't even know that was going to be there. But, you know, I, I was really surprised by how many of these guys, first of all, that they were willing to open up and kind of be vulnerable enough to talk about it. But then, you know, um, Rick Sutcliffe talking about his father abandoning the family. Uh, Don Carmen talking about his father, uh, how he kind of wish how, how he abused him and how difficult that was. Uh, Randy Reddy talking about his father dying when he was, you know, a teenager. So it's like you have these some of these really poignant, sad stories, but then you've got you got a counterweight. You know, Lee Mazzilli has this beautiful relationship with his father. And um, I talk about my own my own father is in the book and he goes on the road with me for a little bit. So, you know, there's there was that thread. There was the thread of kind of the the tortoise and the hare of like the guys that were the least accomplished in baseball, like Jaime Kokenauer, end up being probably the most well-adjusted after they're done playing. But I didn't know all those things until I was actually on the road meeting with guys. Why do you think they opened up so much to you? I mean, it starts right away, you know, with Rance Mullenix. Right, right. right. Talking about like getting married, right? And yeah. Um, I think it was a combination of things. I think the, I tried to, what I would do is like, I would take, let's see, I have one, actually one sec. I'm going to show yeah, you. Yeah. So this say it says Jaeger. Yeah. This was a, a, my file on Steve Jaeger, you know, with all these articles oh, wow. about his career. And so when I would meet with him, when I met with him, I would I put this in front of him and I said, this is your file. I've read all of this and I feel like I know nothing about you. And I think that kind of set the tone that like this wasn't going to be a typical sports book or, you know, I wasn't really going to ask about. I mean, because the obvious things to ask Steve Yeager, well, tell me about what it felt like to be the World Series MVP in 1981. Right. But he's been asked that a billion times. So he's got prepared answers, basically. But, you know, when I asked him about like, well, tell me about what your father did for a living. Right. That opened up a dialogue that eventually led to actually my father was drunk all the time and he passed out in the clubhouse when I was playing in Cincinnati. I mean, I doubt he wa he woke up that morning thinking he was going to talk about his drunk father to me. But if you set up your line of questioning in a certain way and I think if you show 
I try to be honest and open and talk about myself also and say like, Hey, I'm not a sports writer. Um, I'm just, you know, a, a fan who's also a journalist who's really interested in these, these deeper issues <clears throat> around baseball and life after baseball. Um, I think that they, they respected what I was trying to do and were willing to, to share a little bit. Were they guarded at first? Wondering if if you had an ulterior ulterior motive. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure a little bit, um, you know. But I also told them like, <laughs> I said right off the bat, look, like I know you're trained to, to talking cliches. Like I get it. Like you're you're gonna you know your whole life you've been saying like, yeah, I'm gonna give 110 percent, and tomorrow's another day. And I was like, <laughs> basically said like, you know, if you're gonna use that if we're going to do that i'm not like you know i'm not interested in having that conversation so that's if you don't want to talk to me that's fine but uh i think that they just appreciated me being forthcoming and forthright about about that all right can we just go down the list and maybe play the name game and give me uh give me some thoughts on on each player or ones we can talk about uh rance mullinex was your first your first trip uh before the trip were you nervous i mean it was your first one. You're heading out. You don't know what really what to expect. Yeah, um, I was the, the first one. You know, is always sort of like you know getting over that that hump. Um, but he was very. I mean, I, in, when I look back, like Rance was a great way to start because he was so measured and so he's kind of like the ultimate. You know, if you think of like a comedy, the old like the the, the straight the straight guy, the straight edge guy. You know, just kind of like down to earth really honest but not not a character per se and i think that kind of created this nice start to the book that then you know and then i talk about you know because i'm i'm in the book myself and like that first chapter I, i'm like i get drunk and i pass out on the side of the freeway and like i'm kind of a mess right and there's this guy that's sort of you know he's this like nice beautiful family man and i'm kind of out of control so I, you know it kind of created a nice juxtaposition there and maybe set up a nice kind of like um, foil for the rest of what was going to come later. What was your takeaway with, with Rance? Uh, Rance that, uh, that he, first of all, like on the father thing, had a, had a great relationship with his father. Um, and that I was impressed by how he was willing to open up about his own mistakes. Right. So he talks about like he loved, baseball but he also recognizes the toll that it took on his first marriage and you know he has that line where he says like you can be home and still be a mile away like mm. you know and but he kind of like it's like a his story is like a story of second chances like he got married again they had kids and i feel like the father that he is the second time around is very different from the first time how about steve yeager yeager um was a uh, very, you know, I expected him to be this sort of brash, cocky kind of guy, and he is. But at the same time, like, what was nice there was that he, again, pretty quickly was willing to let me in a little bit and, and talk about his father and what that relationship was like. And then the next day I got to meet his son. So it was really nice to see, you know, to interview father and son and to contrast their closeness with the relationship that or that Steve didn't have with his father. Now, Gary Templeton, um, obviously, he was traded for Ozzie Smith along the way. 
Um, and when I think about Gary Templeton, I think, you know, moody, grumpy. Um, what was your experience? Yeah, so that was kind of, as I say in the book, what I expected also. And you'll see in the book, it's anything but that, right? So we watch kung fu movies together, you know, <laughs> hang out in his living room. I interviewed his wife. You know, he was he was one of the, the, the most open, friendly guys in the book. Gary Pettis, I, I thought, was very interesting, although you didn't get a chance to, to talk to him. Yeah. Um, hopefully that's not a spoiler. Yeah. Um, he was in the middle of a baseball season, and, and I, I believe you said they had a gag order coming from the from the manager yeah. um, not to talk to anybody. What was that? What was that situation like for you trying to get a hold of him? Yeah, well, I liked Pettis, the Pettis thing, because I so I, I teach at a place called Merritt College now, but I was teaching at a, another school in Oakland called Laney College when I wrote the book and I or when I took the trip and Gary went to Laney College. So I had this instant connection. He grew up in Oakland. He went to the college that I taught at. Um, I actually went into the archives and found an old college newspaper of him from like 1979, an old article. So I kind of knew the where he came from. You know, I, I teach a lot of the students that he, he once was. Um, and I felt so I was really excited to share that. And, and I tried to, you know, when I end up not being able to talk to him, I, that chapter ends with the letter, or, or I guess a letter that Cap captures what I would have said to him. And I thought that was kind of an, a, a new way to approach writing about him without having talked to him. Same with Vince Coleman. He was another uh, just elusive person for you. But with Vince, I feel like, I mean, I got a hold of Vince Coleman before the trip and he just flat out said no. Whereas Gary, it was, it was beyond Gary Pettis' control. Did, was there anything beyond a no? Or it was just forget it? No, he. I mean, it was funny. He was like, "No," and then I, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested. And then I said, I, I kind of gave one follow up, and he's like, "Brad, I told you, I'm not interested." And I was like, "All right, well, that's that." Hmm. That's tough. Um, so I'm from the uh, the eastern Pennsylvania area, which is Philly's territory. Although I'm a Mets fan, uh, so Don Carmen, I remember. Like, I remember him, he was around uh, at the game, you know, played for the Phillies. And I thought it was a great, a great story about him. Could you tell us about Don Carmen? Yeah, I mean, and he was my favorite player as a kid. Um, hmm. He was my hero as a kid. Uh, so that was by far the most special of the whole pack was, you know, getting to actually meet my childhood hero. And then they say, you know, never meet your hero because, you know, they're going to let you down. And, and this was... He he actually exceeded my expectations. Just an amazing guy, um, super, just different. Like definitely the most intellectual, kind of thoughtful guy in the pack. Um, you know, baseball players aren't known for being intellectuals, but he's a completely different different type of cat. Uh, I could see him being in one of my grad school classes. You know, that's the kind of guy he is. And he's an agent. No, he's a psychologist. He thought oh. he got he got his uh, master's in psychology and now working on his doctorate. He's the uh, psychologist for Scott Boris, who is ah. yeah, awesome. Well, that's a that's a great going from a professional baseball player to uh, a psychologist. That's a whole nother right. But he's actually the so what he does is like all of Scott Boris's clients, like Bryce Harper and all those guys. When they go in a slump, Don Carmen flies to wherever they are and, and talks to them. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, the, now, my hero growing up was Lee Mazzilli, so it's interesting you have yours, and, and you also did mine, which I, I appreciate. I loved Lee Mazzilli. He came out. He was a great-looking Italian guy, young kid. who was supposed to be the next uh, superstar for the Mets. Um, it didn't really turn out that way, although he was still a, a very good uh, utility baseball player and helped the 1986 Mets win their championship series. Uh, he seemed like a really great guy in the book. What were your experiences with him? Uh, what, what I was most impressed with there was his relationship with his brother. You know, he talks about his older brother that passed away from cancer. And again, his willingness to open up and talk about how, you know, he talked to, I mean, you could tell like his brother was his best friend. It's like, I don't know, right now I'm watching, um, you know, the daily press coverage of, of from Andrew Cuomo uh, on TV from New York, the governor, and talking to, and his relationship with his brother, Chris Cuomo. And they're, they're you know, it's this wonderful thing. Um, they're, such, they're so close to each other. And it's, that's the kind of relationship that clearly Lee Mazzilli had with his brother. Mm. Um, one disappointment was, was Doc Gooden. Obviously, he was, I'm a Mets fan, another hero of mine growing up. Um, could you kind of briefly explain what, what happened there? Yeah, well, Doc was the one guy who wanted me to pay him. He wanted $500 to interview him. And I said, well, I don't, I'm not a big fan of that idea, but I'll do it as long as like, I'm going to talk about it in the book. You know, I'm not going to hide that. And yeah, very sad because at that point he had been clean for like three years or something. And uh, I was in his living room for our appointment and talking to his son, his oldest son, and he completely no-showed and no one knew where he was, including his son. And so that was, you know, another very sad chapter in, in Doc's struggle with addiction. And that was it. No other, obviously no other contact. And um... yeah, that chapter is about, you know, basically him not, not showing up, you know, mm. the, the one we talked about before, um, Carlton Fisk. So I really knew nothing about him the way that, that he portrayed himself mm -hmm. um, as far as not wanting to talk about himself. Uh, could you could you explain Carlton Fisk and then tell us the story at the end about the publicist? Yeah, so uh, he I, I tried to give some contact. I mean, Carlton Fisk notoriously he doesn't talk to really the press very much. I mean, turned down Bob Costas, which, you know, that's a, <laughs> you're gonna to Bob Costas like you're not going to talk to me. Um, so I didn't expect him to talk to me, but I tried to provide a little context by talking about his relationship with his father. And there's that story in the book about, you know, his hall of fame speech where he, you can just see how, or I guess the, the most telling thing is there's a story from when Fisk was in, I think it was in high school and he actually was, he loved basketball. He was a basketball star, maybe more so than baseball even. And, um, he was in like, I think it was the state championship and he, you know, he scored like 45 points or something. And they, you know, I think his team lost and he had this great game, even though they lost. And he's, I guess the, right after the game, the first thing his father says to him is you missed three free throws or something like that. And it's like, wow. Okay. That, <laughs> so you, you know, you, you can kind of tell maybe some of Fisk's psychology or his psyche, how much that was affected from just the, so early on, just goes to show you how important parenting is and childhood and all that. Um, so um, anyway, so 
yeah, with Fisk, he wouldn't talk to me. So I found out from a source uh, the that he golfs at this really exclusive private resort in Florida um, every, every well a lot of days, and so I <laughs> I had fun with that chapter. I pretended like I was a millionaire homebuyer to sneak onto the golf course to ambush him, and so that chapter is about that whole scheme that I cooked up and then again, it ends up not being there. So two weeks later I go to Cooperstown, New York and I track him down. He's signing autographs. So I pay to get his autograph and uh, I won't tell the whole story, but I give him, uh, I get to meet him and I have some fun with it. And then I get a very kind of angry call from his, his uh, agent the next day. <laughs> and, and it's uh yeah, it's it's best to, to read that one for yourself. I think I, I believe it. And I think that's worth uh, buying the book just to read that that chapter. Uh, it just kind of gives you an inside look at um, uh, publicists and um, people who don't want to talk to you. And for those who don't know it, the the Hall of Fame, you can go to the Hall of Fame inductions every year. I used to go every summer, um, and the players will be either lined up on the street or inside stores, and they're charging. I don't know. I'm not begrudging them at all. You know, anywhere from when I went, it used to be anywhere from $20 up to, you know, $150 just for a, a quick five second signature. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure those prices went up uh, from there. Uh, but a good place to meet people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you most proud about in the book? Um, I'd say uh, I'm most proud that I got to write the book I wanted to write, which was, again, something that I see the the take home messages of the book providing some good advice for living your life, you know, not not just about baseball, but some of the notion, the notion that um, you can only, you know, you can only control what what you first of all, you can only control your behavior. You know, we all have thoughts and feelings that we you know pop into our heads and you know you can't control what pops into your head but you can control your reaction to it you know you're always in control of your behavior um and how important it is to to be in the present moment to to not live in fear to not let fear get the best of you um you know i chose that quote i had the book right here um the opening quote from helen keller which to me like summarizes the book which is Security is mostly a superstition. It does not exist in nature, nor do the children of men as a whole experience it. Avoiding danger is no safer in the long run than outright exposure. Life is a daring adventure or nothing. And I think that kind of captures the spirit of what I was trying to do. Mm. That's a great quote. Um, how, how, how did Don Carmen become your favorite baseball player? <laughs> well, I was a Phillies fan growing up, so... He played for the Phillies. But then beyond that, I didn't know. I mean, otherwise, I mean, I liked the guys that were kind of the the journeyman players, the underdogs. Um, but I never really, you know, I always wondered about that. And then, again, I, I'm not, as a scientist, I'm not prone to say, like, oh, you know, it was meant to be. But I kind of, after meeting him and seeing how many similarities I share with him, like, I talk about how I was bullied as a kid and kind of picked on and he had the same experience there's all these weird like parallels and i'm i'm like oh well, maybe maybe that was just meant to be you know i was meant to have him as my favorite was he your favorite person you met yeah i mean for sure uh but i also like you know someone like randy reddy was would 
is so fun. Like in just in terms of just wanting to hang out, like someone like Randy Reddy would be maybe my first choice just to have a beer with. <laughs> um, do you think if everything goes well, have you thought about um, branching off to another another year, another a follow up? Yeah, uh, you know, no, not because I wouldn't enjoy it, but I just feel like the 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 novelty, like whatever I would do next in this vein would I just don't think it could measure up. You know, it's I mean, I hope other people do. I would love to, you know, the nicest thing about this has been um, I feel like it's it's something that a lot of people relate to. And it's been fun for me to meet other people that get excited by this idea. Um, so I say, yeah, you know, I would be, I would love to read someone else's book about another sport, another year, you know, you could definitely do this in many different ways. And, and I think it, it, it's, you know, available to so many different types of people. You have, um, baseball card collectors, you have, um, father and son relationships in the book, you mm -hmm. have baseball sports, um, and you have drinking, <laughs> which, <Yeah. laughs> which sure. is fun. Um, so I, it's really a great book. Uh, you know, I read it, I crammed read it in the last two days. Could you tell me, I'm just curious why. So the book was on pre-order and maybe you can't answer this. Mm -hmm. I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, but now other people had availability to it. It was, it was, uh, released a little earlier. Yeah. I have no idea. Like I was told from the very beginning, April 1st is the release day and then they start shipping it to, so the publisher starts shipping their copies early if you order directly from the publisher amazon started shipping their copies early i have no idea it's very strange to me <laughs> mm, i was just wondering how the book business went yeah but um it's a nice easy read which is important to me um yeah. i loved it Great. i definitely highly recommend it where can we where can we find find you yeah so um if you go to waxpackbook.com uh that's the website i'm on twitter at waxpackbook and I noticed like on Amazon, they have this, you know, major delay, like a month, maybe three week delay to, to get the book because of the pandemic and they're prioritizing essential items. So uh, I encourage people to go to, I think it's IndieBound.org, which is like a group of independent bookstores and you can order it there and get it faster. And, oh. um, you know, I'm really concerned about local bookstores right now with this whole pandemic. So it'd be great to support them. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you coming on. I mean, uh, definitely, again, go out and get the book. And we'll put all your links up so people can find it. Great. Um, Thanks for having me on, Ryan. It's Absolutely, uh, Brad. Always fun to talk to a, a fellow fan of this era. You got it. Well, hopefully, we'll talk again. All right. Take care. Thank you. Thanks. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you're looking for social media content for your contracting business, painting contractors, carpenters, electricians, any type of contractor, please check us out on Instagram at Amato Media or check us out on LinkedIn. We can definitely help you all out. So have a great day.